Father, I don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We sit here because you've come into our lives and made yourself real to us. You've shown us uh, your power and your glory. You've demonstrated your love through your Son, Jesus Christ, and you've made us new. You've opened us up to this whole new realm of possibilities. Father, I, uh, I just pray that, that as we think about the days ahead, that we wouldn't lose focus. That's not just the work we're doing or the things that we have to offer or, or what we can even get out of the world that we live in. But as we've sung over and over and over tonight, but very specifically in that last song, we sit here because we are in awe of You. Because You deserve to be worshipped. And Father, I, I, I think that the people in this room, I, I think I can speak and say that they desire to give You their all. I don't know what that means for each person in here. But I have no doubt that you're able to, to show us and that you will show us. I pray that as we finish this little series on, on the vision and direction of this church, that you would speak loudly. Turn up the volume, God, in a sense that we can hear you plainly. Not just in what I have to say, but through your Spirit, what you have to say in our hearts. Help us, to, if we've lost it, to regain our focus. If we never had it to get the focus. God, more than anything, just to be looking at you in all that we do. It's all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. There are some big things happening. We are looking at some exciting days ahead. I'd give you a timeline, but some of that's still to be determined. And so I, would, could, only, I could only give you a number that you would not be able to hang a, nail, uh, hang a coat on. or It would be like a nail stuck in sheetrock. It would eventually let you down. And so I don't want to... Do that just yet because I don't think it's time, but you do need to be praying about the days, the, the days ahead. Um, we are a small group, and it would seem that because we're a small group that, well, you've got to be careful, and, 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 and we do, and, and you may not have that big of an impact, and we may not. But I was asked just recently, do you really think that we can transform Springfield? And then it was rephrased, or that God can transform Springfield through us. I think absolutely. Not because I'm some dynamic speaker who's got all kinds of degrees, because I don't, and I'm not. You guys have heard me speak. I fumble and I, I uh, lose the wording that I want to use a lot. It's not me. Um, 
And it's not because I have some grand idea, because it's not mine. I didn't used to think this way. Never cared to think this way. It's not because we have the coolest, hippest people in town meeting in our little group, although I think we do. Um, and that may help. But the reality is, is that How do I phrase this? As I've dealt with this, I'm con- I have become convinced more and more and more, and I, I don't think some days that I could be more convinced, but I become more convinced all the time as I see God work and as I see Him do things. But we're headed the right direction. And we may always be kind of a small group to start off with, but I can't ever stop thinking about what God did through 12 guys. There were some women along the way that that were a huge part to play in that, and I don't want you to think that I don't think of them. It's just in the Bible, that's what we read of, is the 12 apostles. But God did a huge work for them. In fact, or through them, in fact, He turned the world upside down through them. And we still remember Jesus much because of what he did through those men. And I'm sure there's a lot of days they thought, well, I could have figured this out better, or I could have done it different. I wish it had been this way. But it wasn't. It was God's way. You see, as I was thinking about this and how I would close this last message out, I was thinking about the distance between two points. It would be so great, you know, I mean, if, if, if it were true in the life of church or people, if it were true that the shortest distance between two points were a straight line, and, and probably it is true, but the reality is is that most of the time we don't, we, don't, we don't get to travel the straight line. And that may be because of me or you or something in your life or my life or whatever, but the fact is, and, and I've learned this over the last several years of being in, in leadership positions within church, and especially in the last year and a half as we've done this, is that the reality is is that I can see it, and I know God's working it, and there's this straight line to get to it. And it's, such a, just, just, it's just right there. But that's not the path we've got to take. That's not the path we've been on. We've been zigzagging all over the place and we've been here and we've been there and I, I, I couldn't help but think about when we started this out and we started with the vision casting dinner much like what we're looking to do on July 11th. You know, some people showed up. They heard the vision and, and I shared with you guys that some have stayed now. And, um, some have gone. But the reality is as we did that, we began to meet in Billy's house. You know, that... It would have seemed to me, if, if, I were leading the, if I were leading the charge, if I was the one in charge of this whole deal, which you might think I am, but I'm really not, and I'll explain that in a second. If I were doing it, I would have just said, all right, here, come, open the floodgates, just pour the people in, and it's going to be okay, and everything's going to be all right, and, and it would be great. It's not the way it happened. We met. We stayed there for, I don't know, about nine months, and we did our thing there. And, and you know, as I think back, 
In the midst of that, I'd love to see growth in numbers, and I'd love to see people just knocking down Billy's door and trying to squeeze into this place and, 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 and trying to figure out what was going on. But I think back now and I think about what we gained in that time. You see, in, in that time, God had given, us, given me a vision for community, not community built on numbers, but community built on intimacy and, and closeness and a connection beyond what we have in our, in, in our normal, everyday ideas about what going to church is. And we really got to begin to see how that might work out. And we were able to, to experiment with some things and some deal with some things. And, and, and so instead of having to just make that stuff up as we go along, God's been preparing us. And, and yeah, we did make up some things as we went along, but, but we didn't have to do it with vast numbers of people which would have just caused many more problems. Because here's the truth of it. Here's the, just the, the blunt, just as, as the, the naked truth. The one thing you get when you get more people is you get more problems. Sure, we have resources. We have gifts and abilities, but how many of you in this room don't have any problems? Jason's the only one. You see, that's the reality of it. And we were at a place where we weren't ready to deal with those problems. We weren't ready to take on that responsibility. I think about what would have happened if God had opened us up like Pentecost on that day when 3,000 people became believers, and in just a short time then, all of a sudden now these 12 apostles who... The whole church, all these thousands of people are looking to, all of a sudden they've got problems because people aren't being supported the way they're supposed to. You see, God's keeping us from some of that. I think about when, we, when, when this door opened, and, and I mean, I'm going to tell you, this door opened wide for us to come here and meet here. And in my mind, I had this big dream that this is the time, this is when God's just going to flood us with, and He's going to let us touch people, and He's going he's to let us, let us um, be used to, in, in amazing ways. And as, as we came into this, and as we did this, we went out, we did some Easter, the Easter egg hunt, we've done some other outreach things, and it just didn't happen. I thought, God, what are you doing? And I began to just pray through it began to try and understand it, and began to try and deal with that. And, and, and in His Spirit, He continued to tell me, keep going, keep going, keep going. You've got to be committed to this. And He sent people into my life who confirmed what we were doing, who saw, who, who, <laughs> and sometimes who slapped me across the face pretty sharply, so I think that they would tell me if I was off base, but they, they, they speak truth to me. And they tell me, Seth, stay after it. You've got this amazing vision. Keep going. And I think, and I've wondered, and I've prayed, and, and, and I feel like God has shown me, Seth, I was making you ready. Now, I don't want to sound vain in that. I don't want to sound like I'm the only one. Because I don't think I am. You see, I think He was making you ready too. I heard it said once, 
about a person who started the church. I don't even remember the details of it. I don't remember who the person was. But he knew that they wouldn't see growth until they were ready to take care of God's children, his babies. And so I think about where we're at and what we're really able to do and really what we're called to do. And there's some things we do really well, but there's some things we're not ready to do yet. But in that time, God has so sharpened this vision and brought such focus to me. I think I'm ready. I thought I was ready a year and a half ago. But what I know I'm ready to do is to share it and to call people to it. And if they'll follow, I'll lead them. But I'm going to keep doing what God's called me to do. And then I'm going to ask you to follow with me as we do what God's called us to do. You see, the shortest distance between two points absolutely is a straight line. But I'm thankful that Jesus is the real shepherd, that he's the senior pastor. Because I would have gone straight. And he's caused us to go in a curvy line and learn a lot of lessons and prepare us for whatever He has for tomorrow. And so we come to this place now, and, 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 and we stop and we think for the last two weeks, and one more night tonight, that we focus intently upon this vision, or this, this grand idea, an experiment, as I like to think of it, <clears throat> And what it means and, and how we'll plug into it and how we'll live in it. And we come from last week speaking about our worship of God. And I can't stop thinking about how powerful it was that Jackson chose the songs that he chose tonight because he couldn't have brought us to this point any better because the reality is what we've done tonight is we've committed ourselves. If you sang those words, even if you said them in your head and you said them towards the Lord, you have made a commitment. Not to me. To Him. And it may not have to do with the way, but you have said, Here I am. All of me. Those are dangerous words. But there is no other way to worship this God. And that is our focus. You see, we started two weeks ago with viewing this, these core values, these things that God has been building and driving into me, the Gospel. And I won't ever let you forget the Gospel. You know why? Because if it weren't for the Gospel, it would be for naught. If it weren't for Jesus Christ coming into this world and dying on a cross and giving Himself in our place for our sins, we would have no hope. And we could not worship because we would have no way back. Because everything in us runs from God. No one seeks God. No one's righteous. No, not one. You see, we'd have no way back if it weren't for Jesus. We can't forget the gospel. Truth. If, it, if that weren't true, if this were not the absolute, undeniable, rock-solid truth, then we'd still be with no hope. 
And if it weren't for this sacrificial love and this example that's been set for us, this, this message that, 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 that says that you, you give to those who don't deserve and you sacrifice of yourself to the point of death if that's necessary. You see, that's the love that we've been called to love with. I just had a conversation with, with Cameron this week and he was talking about loving someone and I said, you're even supposed to love your enemies. The reality is there's no one that we're not supposed to act in love towards. And all of these things, that, that, that if you take them at their truth and, it, and you strip away the cultural perspectives and you look at them in the light of God's truth, they move you in a certain way. They move you to a point of awe and astonishment. Of, of a, a, a place where you understand that I'm not supposed to be up here. My rightful place is here and my Creator here. You see, we're supposed to be at His feet. We were created for this worship. And as we come to this, come to this place again and we hear, and as we heard last week, and we understand that that, that is our purpose and the vision for this church to, to step back and, and, and to set aside all of the things that have become church in our culture. To just push them to the side. Are they bad? No. Are, are they wrong? Are, are people out there doing church wrong? Maybe some, but, but, but don't hear me bashing other churches. But I just want to set them aside long enough for us to step back and understand that all we do Everything this church will ever do will never be meant to exalt itself in any way. We are not out there selling the way. We're out there telling people about a God who loved them enough that He came into a world and gave it of Himself that they might be redeemed and brought back into a right relationship with Him as their worship. See, He created us to worship. And if we're not worshiping Him, we're not in the right place. That's what we were created to do. And as He brings us back into that relationship, yes, we're children. We'll speak about that. Yes, we're, we're, we're brothers and sisters. Yes, we are, we, we are, um, are redeemed. And yes, we will get to spend eternity in heaven. But the purpose of salvation is not just to see you saved. It's to bring you back into right relationship with your Creator. To worship Him. That's the vision of this church. But it doesn't stop there. You see, because if it stopped there, it would just be an idea. It would just be some intellectual knowledge that yes, I'm supposed to exalt God. And yes, you are. But the reality is we live in a physical world. We, we, we live in, in a place where where, where practical things have to take place. So how do we move as a church in, in, a, in a lifestyle of worship? How do we move from just taking worship and the words that we sing on a Sunday evening or a Sunday morning or a, uh, any other time that we may meet, how do we take that and we put it into practical application? How do we make it part of life? You see, that's where we get into the rest of the vision and the mission of what we'll do. 
And I'm going to read you the whole statement again so that you've got it in your head, but, but we'll, we'll break the rest of these out tonight as we started last week with worship. Let me read the whole thing to you. Our vision, our mission is to worship and lead others to worship the one true God. To be a family that lives united, unified and authentic lives together for God's glory. To be a community that selflessly serves one another with our spiritual gifts and God-given abilities. <clears throat> well, to be a church used by God to share His love and grow His kingdom. The first place we start is the idea of family. To, to move as a family. I already spoke to you about, about this. I already mentioned that, that as we come to Christ, we're made sons and daughters. But let me give you scriptural foundation for that. Mark 3.31 says this, Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived standing outside, and they sent someone to call Him. I didn't, that's not all the verses. Let me, let me read them all to you. I didn't copy them all down. See, I told you, I'm not that dynamic of a speaker. Didn't get all my notes right. Starting in verse 31, Mark 3, 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, standing outside. They sent someone in to call him. Now remember, he's sitting, this is a, let me give you the context. He's sitting someplace teaching, and there's a huge crowd around him. And his mother and his brothers and sisters show up, and they're outside, and they're, they're, they're separated from him, and, and a crowd is sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. He says... Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. John chapter 1, verse 12. We've heard this verse in our, in our series that, as we were going through John. It says, Yet to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He has given the right to become children of God. Romans 8.29 says, For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, so that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Hebrews 2.11 Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. The point is this, that in Christ we are made a family. We're brothers and sisters. And so I just stop for just a second and I want you to put eyes on every person in the room. Turn around, look forward, look at everybody in this room. You are brothers and sisters in Christ. You belong to the same family. What does that mean? What are the implications of that? I mean, think about it. People who believe, you come into this family and, and oh, we, we get together with our family once a week, every Sunday, and we sing songs with them and we listen to a guy preach. Is that what your family does? That's not family. See, we need to come back to a place where we understand that the church, the, the body of Christ, truly is a family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. When we look at one another, we should be moved. We should feel a sense of of, of joy to know one another. We should, we should have this idea that, that, hey, we may not like each other all the time. We may not be best of friends, but if somebody messes with you, I've got your back. 
You know, when, when I was growing up, I would fight tooth and nail with my brothers and sisters, but nobody messed with us. Nobody messed with us. Because we were family. There's people who God raises up and who makes, he, he, he makes them fathers, or we would call them elders, and He makes them mothers. We would see, like, even, in, even in, uh, in, the, in the book of Timothy, and in the book of 1 Peter, they're both, Paul and Peter both, are calling the elders, those who have wisdom and maturity, to teach those who are younger. You see, it's, it, it, it's the idea that we're more than just this group of people who get together once a week. We've got to step back and understand that God has renewed these relationships that were broken at the fall. Remember, not only was our relationship with Him broken, but our relationship with one another. At one moment you read that they're both naked and they're unashamed. And the next moment you're reading after the fall that they went and got covered up. There was a problem all of a sudden in their relationships. So we need to come back to this place where we look at being family. What, is that, what, what else does that mean? I mean, think about it. Who knows you better than your brothers and sisters? My brothers and sisters would have never thought that I'd been here doing this. In fact, some of them, I think, still don't believe I'm here doing this. They don't want me to be here doing this. Who knows you better than your brothers and sisters? How well does your church family, whether you're here or whether you're somewhere else, how well does your church family know you? How well do the people that you call a church family, what do they know about you? You see, we shouldn't have anything to hide. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. <laughs> we're, we're the place, if, 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 if there's no other place in the world that a person can, can come and find support and, and find an ability to stand and, and not just and abilities to stand and support, but help coming out of the problems of life, where else can they go? And if it's not a family, if it's, if it's, not, if it's not a relationship that goes deeper than just a knowledge of someone, and yeah, you're a believer and I'm a believer too, if it's not that, why would Christ ever have called us brothers and sisters? Why would, why would we ever think that God was our Father? You see, He's called us to more than just a superficial connection on Sunday morning. I spoke, I spoke this week with, with someone that was struggling with pornography. If he doesn't have a place to turn that accepts him as family, I mean, he's a believer. If he doesn't have a place to turn that accepts him as family, that's ready for him to say, man, i got this problem and I need help. If it's not going to be the church, where do you think he's going to turn? If it's not going to be his church family, where do you think he's going to turn? Where do youth turn when they feel disconnected and empty and they feel all alone? A lot of them turn to gangs. 
You see what that leads to. I'm telling you, we've got to come to a place where we look at one another in love. Not, not just some superficial knowledge that that person's a believer and shouldn't be doing that, but that we see them in love and we have a desire to help them out of it. Not condemn them, not judge them, not throw them to the ground. Not belittle them in some way that, that makes them less of a person. We've got to find a way to be brothers and sisters that lock arm in arm. And, and, and walk this walk together. We've got to be a family. We've got to be a community that serves. Romans 12, 5-8 says this, So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. You see what that says? Listen to it again. So in Christ, we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I don't care whether you go to Second Baptist Church or The Way or James River, you are part of the body of Christ if you're a believer. There's plenty of people that go to those churches that aren't believers, and that's okay. We want non-believers to come and sit and hear the truth. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you belong not just to yourself anymore, you belong to the body. You are responsible for more than just yourself. And he goes on to say, We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. And if it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Here's the truth. If you're a believer and you're not serving the body, you are hampering the body. Because God has given you a gift. He has given you an ability to use for the good of the body. You belong to one another. I belong to you. And we must come together to serve one another. This is huge. This is huge. It's so much more. Church is so much more than just the gathering that happens once a week. We can't make it on our own. We can't realize or do all the things that need to be done on our own. Sure, we get up in the morning and we go to work and we pay our bills and we, we live our life. And yep, we have our, our husbands or our wives and our children and, and we go on about life and everything seems like it's all it's supposed to be. But the reality is, if you're not serving and you're not being served, you're missing something. You know how I know? Because the Bible told me so. That just came to hit. First Peter 4.10 says this, each one, understand the, 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 the context of this verse. Peter has written to, to Christians who are suffering, who are being, being killed and beaten because of their faith. And he says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If you aren't serving and you're not being served, you're missing something. If you're not serving, you're robbing God's grace from someone. If you're not being served, you're missing God's grace. 
You see, God's grace goes much further than the grace that He demonstrated to you on the cross and the grace that He demonstrated to you in saving you even though you didn't deserve it. His grace goes much further, you see, because His grace continues to work. His grace doesn't stop the moment you're saved. His grace is forever and ever and ever and ever. His grace is, is that thing that provides when you don't understand how it's going to come together. His grace is what does it. His grace is that, is that goodness that He shows even though you're still dabbling with sin that you don't, shouldn't be dabbling with. His grace is, 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 is hearing something from a preacher who, who says something at just the right moment that sticks in your heart that changes you. His grace is somebody who, who is in your church who walks up who says, you know what, I don't know why, but I've just felt the need to pray for you. His grace is, is all of a sudden, you, for whatever reason, you are not able to pay a bill and somebody sends you money and out of the blue, it's there and it's paid for. That's His grace. You see, that's God's goodness. And for whatever reason, I don't understand it because it would be so much easier if He just did it Himself because then it would always be done. But for whatever reason, we can see in Scripture that He's chosen you and chosen me to demonstrate this grace. We must become a community that serves one another beyond. What? Well, I really don't have time right now. I made plans to do something else. That looks like more fun. I'm going to go do that. You see, we've got to be a community that serves one another sacrificially just the way we've been served. It's not always easy. In fact, I think the things that are the most rewarding are the things that cost the most. When you really had to give it up, that's when you see the greatest blessing. And that blessing may not be yours, but you can see it in the other people. See, we must become a community that serves one another. <clears throat> and we must be a church used by God to share His love and grow His kingdom. And really this statement brings us all the way back to the beginning and to that first statement about worship. When I first was touched by God, or first first involved in, in the idea of missions, I thought I was supposed to go and see people converted. And I was supposed to go and make this, this argument and, this, and this, uh, this... I was supposed to tell this story and I was supposed to make people decide that they wanted Jesus. I've realized I can't do that. I've realized that none of us can. But what I know we can do is call them to worship. You see, this, this is the heart of who we are or should be who we are. This is the heart of what I'm going to lead this church to be. A body that worships, that leads others to worship. Think about it. We want to see people come out of sin. We want to see people... Um, leave their sinful lifestyles. We want to see people saved and, and loving Jesus. Why do we want to see that? So that you can put a notch on your belt and say, look at what I did? No, so that God is worshipped because He's worthy of worship. That's the motivation. That's the point that we should come to. 
Yes, I want to see people saved. Yes, I want to see people transformed. Yes, I want to see people come out of sinful lifestyles. I want to hear radical stories of transformation. Because I want God to be worshipped. Not just by me, and not just by the 25 or 30 people that are in this room, and not just by the numbers of people that went to church this morning, but by the 600 and some odd thousand that live in this area. Every one of them. I can't make it happen, but I can call them to it. That's what we've been called to do. You see, what what this comes to, and, and what this ultimately does is, this... This defines it all. This, this brings us to a place where we're not just tr- trying to be a missions church, although to be involved in this church, we'll have to be involved in some sort of mission work. We're not just trying to be a family church, although to be involved in this church, we want to be a family. We're not just a communal church, although we need community. We need to be a worshiping church. And as we come to be a family, and as we serve in community, and as we reach out in missions, we do it not to boast about what we do or the numbers that we see. We do it to worship the God who saved us, who then sent us to call others to worship Him. You see, the only thing that's ever exalted, at least to the point of God's of, of loving, God, <coughs> loving God in our lives, is loving other people. I didn't read this verse to you earlier. I'll read it to you now. You've all heard it. And a lot of people use it as they speak about their vision and mission for the church. But I want to point something out about it. Jesus replied, this is Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 40, as He speaks about the greatest commandment. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. We know that. The first thing we're to love above all other things is God. Every part of our existence, every part of our being is to love God first. That's the worship. You know what's interesting, and I've often wondered why Jesus would have done this or why He even put this in there, but it seems very practical to me. He says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Everything that the law and prophets had to say, everything that they pointed to was loving God. And loving the people that he loved. You see, it's right there together. Jesus put them together so we can't separate that. If we're going to love God, we've got to love people. Who do we love? We love one another. And as we love one another, the people see it. People see it and it, it becomes attractional. As we serve one another, people see it. Why do they do this for one another? That's crazy. Why would they give up their Saturdays? Why would they give up their their weeknights? Why would they do this? Just to hang out with one another. Because we love one another with a sacrificial love, a love that's not about what I can get or what I'm getting, but a love about what I can give. How do we do it? How how are we going to do this? Because really this this is still just an idea. Practical things that we're going to do. First, we've already done some. Where are my notes? <clears throat> we'll continue to do outreach 
events together. We'll continue as a church to look for ways to reach out to our community. We'll, we'll, build our, <clears throat> we'll build our resources together and we'll reach out as far as we can. One way we get to do that this week is buying those beds and, and, and that kitchen table. Oh, well, that's not, that's, that's not even a prospect for our church. It doesn't matter. We're loving someone sacrificially. We're giving of ourselves. We don't have to hide it. Go, go and tell people about what this, what this idea is about. Man, this new little church, they don't even care if this person's ever going to come. She may not. She doesn't even live in this state. It's not about whether or not they come. It's whether or not they experience God's grace in its various forms. There used to be a guy set right over here in the corner. I've talked to him a couple of times. I don't know if he'll ever come back. But you know what was great about the time that he was here? We loved him, never asking anything in return. You guys don't even realize how much you gave him. But his whole family, his whole family, who some are not, who, who don't even profess to know Christ, were touched by God's grace because of what you guys have done. And, what, and just being friendly with him, drinking coffee, and, and speaking with him in the, in the financial donations. But you remember the thing that, that got him here? You remember the reason that he even came? Some of you all know. We called Springfield Schools and asked, is there some way we can help? They said, we can't let you know the family's names. We can't, we can't, you can put all the notes. You can do anything you want. Put those backpacks together. We've got these two families in particular. One of them sent a thank you note about how blessed she was. One of them came to church for a while. And there's conversations I've had with him. And, and like I said, I, he may be back. I don't know. But there's conversations I've had with him that I know for a fact that he's been touched by God's grace in the time he's been here. And here's something else: is his kids had never been in a normal, in a, in a regular church environment. They'd gone to other churches once or twice, but in the time that they were with us, every week I could go back and ask those kids, "What'd you talk about tonight? What'd you guys do?" And they'd tell me some story out of the Bible. We won't see that payoff, more than likely. But God's Word does not return void. And it's done something. So we'll continue to do outreach events like that. But we need to build the community and the family within our, within our walls, within our people. And this is where it's going to, going to, this is going to be the next focus for me, is that as we look towards the fall, I don't know why we pick the fall. Everybody just does things around the seasons, and, and so we'll, we'll just join suit. It's, I don't know that it's biblical, but it's not unbiblical, I don't think. So we'll just do it. Uh, in the fall, we're going to start community groups. And we've already got one going. You guys have heard every week about Aaron and Kathy's on Wednesday nights. I like to think of the King's Community Group. It sounds kind of royal, you know, special. But... It, it's been great. If you've got nothing to do on Wednesday nights, go there. Join with them. I, I mean, ultimately, I think there's been great things happening in that. Relationships are being built. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, things are talked about in there that 
just aren't talked about in other places. We've heard things about people that, wow, you know, that's scary. But you know what? That's what should be going on. We should be able to talk to one another about those things. But the reality is is that one night a week isn't enough. I, I realize that Wednesday night doesn't work for everybody, and so we've got to start some others. My, my idea is that we need three. But then I think, okay, who's going to lead them? Well, Aaron stepped up to lead one. What we need is leaders and houses for two more. And just because you step up tonight or step up at some point and say, I want to do it, doesn't mean you're just going to jump in and do it. I've also come to realize, and this is something I've gotten from, from being tested and approved myself by Lane and his church and, and now the, or the, uh, the mystery church in Jeff City, Joplin, sorry, is that leaders need to be taught to lead. That's the reality of it. That's what you saw Paul doing with Timothy and Titus. And so if you have a desire to lead in a, in a um, community group, let me know about it. And we're going to start in a couple of weeks, we'll start doing some leadership development stuff so that you'll gain the vision of what we need to do with community groups. Because community groups can't just be, I'm going to show up at this guy's house and do nothing. This is where it's really going to take, take shape. This is where it's got to take form. Not everybody gets to share their gifts and their abilities in this setting. But in a small group, those gifts and those abilities become very important. That support structure, that's where it's built. Those relationships that become so tight that they're brothers and sisters, that's where you come to know them at. And that's where we're going to find family. So that's the next focus, developing leaders for community groups, and we'll start them as soon as the leaders are ready. If it means that I have to do one, I'll do one. I'm not particularly excited about that because there's plenty of other things for me to do. But we we need to move forward, and so that's what we're going to do. And then one last thing is that I'm going to call you to have a life that reflects worship. Tomorrow morning, you're going to get up and you're going to go into a world. And you're going to have an opportunity to represent the Almighty God. You're probably going to fail. That's where His grace is so important. But there are times when you'll succeed. You see, and you'll get to, you'll get to stand out there as an ambassador for Christ as a representative for Jesus, as someone who comes with truth that's not really your own, but that's been worked in you and that you get to share with others. And you'll have plenty of opportunities to share it in action and you'll have plenty of opportunities to share it in truth or in word. And I'm going to ask you to do that because that's the lifestyle of worship. That's what worship looks like. Worship doesn't happen just within this group. Every minute of your day can be given to the glory of God. Here I am, all of me. Not here I am when I'm gathered with my brothers and sisters. 
Here I am. All of me. Let's pray.